welcome to episode 12 of the Dason Digest. I am Melissa Johnson, a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dason and your host for this episode. In episode 10, Angelina Davis talked about a recent randomized trial evaluating short course therapy for community-acquired pneumonia. And in episode 11, April Dyer discussed recent recommendations from the American College of Physicians on short course antibiotics for common infections. Today, we follow along with this theme and are focusing on opportunities for de-escalation of antibiotics in patients with pneumonia. The title of this episode is De-Escalation of Broad-Spectrum Antibiotics After Negative Cultures in Patients Admitted for Pneumonia. We have work to do. So this article was published on April 15, 2021 in Clinical Infectious Diseases and is entitled De-Escalation of Empiric Antibiotics Following Negative Cultures in Hospitalized Patients with Pneumonia, Rates and Outcomes. This was put together by folks at the Center for Value-Based Care Research at the Cleveland Clinic. We know that durations of therapy from common infectious indications vary widely in our days on hospitals, and previous research has shown a general trend of durations that are too long. A combination of piperacillin tazobactam and vancomycin or cefepime and vancomycin are used upfront as empirical therapy in many of the patients being admitted to our hospitals. And many of us have been working on trying to deescalate and tailor therapy once cultures come back to try to limit unnecessary exposure to these broad spectrum agents. The latest pneumonia guidelines from the Infectious Diseases Society of America and the American Thoracic Society state that de-escalation of broad-spectrum antibiotics is appropriate in stable patients 48 hours after negative cultures come back. So I thought this paper looking at de-escalation of these empiric antibiotics in patients being treated for pneumonia might be very interesting and would hopefully give us some insights on how to improve this in our hospitals. This was a large retrospective analysis of existing data from 164 U.S. hospitals from the Premier Healthcare Database. Some of you might be familiar with Premier as they're located in Charlotte, North Carolina. They included adults admitted with a principal diagnosis of pneumonia or a secondary diagnosis of pneumonia and a principal diagnosis of either sepsis or respiratory failure. This was determined by ICD-9 codes for the hospital stay using discharge data. All patients had to have had at least a chest x-ray or CT scan and blood or respiratory cultures by hospital day one. All patients received empirical anti-MRSA antibiotics and an anti-pseudomonal antibiotic together, but not a quinolone, as the authors said they thought this would bleed over into community-acquired pneumonia and that was not their target population. They also excluded patients who had been transferred in from other hospitals. Because they were most interested in how clinicians responded to negative cultures, they excluded patients with any positive blood or respiratory cultures for bacteria or other positive tests such as pneumococcal or Legionella urinary antigen or PCR tests for mycoplasma or chlamydia pneumoniae. The timeframe for the study included patients admitted between July of 2010 and June of 2015 which was just prior to the inception of the sepsis core measure in US hospitals, where these antibiotics were prescribed even more frequently to patients on hospital admission. 
They excluded patients such as those with cystic fibrosis or those receiving immunosuppressants where de-escalation of antibiotics could be potentially inappropriate, as well as those admitted directly to the ICU. So this was largely a non-immunocompromised patient population with pneumonia admitted to general medical wards. De-escalation of antibiotic therapy was defined as stopping both the anti-MRSA and the anti-pseudomonal antibiotic in these patients with negative cultures by day four, but continuing on other antibiotics. The investigators had demographic data in the database for these patients, as well as comorbidities and other medications they received, but they did not capture or analyze many laboratory results such as C-reactive protein or procalcitonin. They did have hospital level data such as geographic region, size, whether it was a rural or urban hospital, and if it was a teaching hospital or not. In terms of outcomes, the main study outcomes were all cause in hospital mortality from hospital day five to day 14, as well as transfer to the ICU, invasive mechanical ventilation or vasopressor use on day five or later of hospitalization. They also looked at C. difficile infection, length of stay, and costs, which were inclusive of the bed charges, medications, and laboratory tests. They also measured antibiotic re-escalation, which was defined as reinitiation of anti-pseudomonal or anti-MRSA antibiotics by day seven after initial de-escalation. They did not have data on hospital readmissions, so this was not included. Their statistical analysis was fairly standard, but was evaluated at two levels. First, the patient level would evaluate outcomes in those that had de-escalation of antibiotics compared to those that did not. They used a propensity analysis to adjust for potential indication bias using variables such as hospital characteristics, patient demographics, comorbidities, and treatments the patients received on day zero or one, and on the fourth day after culture collection as proxies of the severity of illness. They then used these propensity scores in their models comparing outcomes such as mortality by day 14, clinical deterioration, length of stay, C. difficile infection, and cost for patients who were de-escalated compared to those that were not. They also did a hospital level analysis to assess, for example, if outcomes were worse in hospitals that had a higher rate of de-escalation than hospitals that had lower rates of de-escalation. They did this by dividing the hospitals into quartiles by the percent of patients who were de-escalated and then compared patient outcomes across these quartiles. They also looked at the likelihood of de-escalation based on the quartile the patient's hospital was in and the predicted mortality risk using a model that was similar to the pneumonia severity index score. So what did they find? In figure one of this paper, we see that they had over 30,000 patients who met their inclusion criteria, and more than 12,000 of these were excluded because they were admitted directly to the ICU, and more than 3,000 were excluded due to immunosuppression. Then a few more were excluded for other reasons, such as secondary diagnosis of ventilator-associated pneumonia, mechanical ventilation, or tracheostomy on day zero or one. That left 14,710 patients for their analysis. Of these 14,000 patients, about 11,000 were included in their patient-level analysis. 1,600 or so were excluded because they had stopped their broad-spectrum antibiotics by day four without a change to other agents. 
Another 1,300 or so because they were de-escalated on day two or four before cultures may have returned, and 77 patients that died on or before hospital day four. We see in table one the characteristics of these included patients who were about 50% female with 76% white and 14% black, primarily admitted through the emergency room with 84% or from a skilled nursing facility at 13%. They were mostly insured by Medicare, which was 79% of the population with hypertension with 70% having that as a comorbidity, chronic pulmonary disease in 45%, anemia in 41% and diabetes in 36%. Overall, only 8% of patients in study had both anti-pseudomonal and anti-MRSA antibiotics de-escalated on day four. The median length of stay in the study was six days with most patients falling in the range of four to nine days and a median duration of antibiotic treatment of seven days. Again, most patients received in the range of five to nine days of antibiotics. 46% of the patients in the study had a principal diagnosis of pneumonia, while 36% had a principal diagnosis of sepsis, and 14% were coded as having aspiration pneumonia as their principal diagnosis. Less than 4% had a nasal PCR test for MRSA, and about 1% of the total population was MRSA positive with a nasal swab. Looking at the patients that were de-escalated on day four compared to those that were not, there were differences in de-escalation rates for a number of factors. For example, patients who had de-escalation performed were younger, had lower comorbidity indexes, and were less likely to be on dialysis. Patients with a negative MRSA swab were more likely than those with positive swabs to have anti-MRSA antibiotics stopped by day four, but not both the anti-MRSA and the anti-pseudomonal agent. In unadjusted analyses of clinical outcomes, de-escalation was associated with a reduction in all negative outcomes with the exception of C. diff infection, which was similar between groups. Cost was about $3,000 lower for those that were de-escalated versus those that were not, with a median difference of about two days in length of stay between these two groups and two days shorter of antibiotics in a group that was de-escalated from seven to five days. Outcomes such as 14-day and hospital mortality, late ICU admission, mechanical ventilation, or vasopressors on day five or later were all higher in the group that were not de-escalated on day four. This suggested that more severe patients had treatment that was continued longer. When accounting for these factors in the propensity adjusted analysis, de-escalation was not significantly associated with 14-day mortality. De-escalation was associated with less frequent late ICU admissions, vasopressor use, or mechanical ventilation after day five, as well as lower hospital costs. Among the patients who had antibiotics de-escalated, re-escalation occurred in only 1.4% of them during the hospitalization. When looking at hospital-level characteristics, 48% of hospitals in the study were more than 400 beds, with 36% having between 200 and 400 beds, and 16% were smaller, with less than 200 beds. 45% of the hospitals were in the South, and about 89% were urban versus only 11% being rural, and about half, or 52%, were teaching hospitals. 
There were slightly more de-escalations by day four at the teaching hospitals and more de-escalations in hospitals with more than 400 beds. Hospital rates of de-escalation varied widely in this study from as low as 2% in some hospitals to a high of 35% in others with a median of 13%. When the hospitals were divided into quartiles based on the de-escalation rate and further stratified by patient severity scores, we could see that patients at higher risk of mortality were less likely to have antibiotics de-escalated. This was consistent maybe with our findings in the first part of the study. But this trend was much stronger across the quartiles than even within them, so that low-risk patients at hospitals with low de-escalation rates were much less likely to be de-escalated than high-risk patients at hospitals with high de-escalation rates. So overall, this is when I fall out of my chair. The de-escalation rate was low, less than 50% in those patients with negative cultures even in those at lowest risk of mortality at hospitals that de-escalated the most. Again, the IDSA and ATS pneumonia guidelines state that de-escalation of broad-spectrum antibiotics is appropriate in stable patients 48 hours after negative cultures. This suggests that the rates of de-escalation in the study of non-severe pneumonia in patients with negative cultures should be pretty high. The variation in de-escalation rates is something we have also seen in Dason hospitals and suggests that there is room to improve here. So what are some limitations of this study? First, the data in the study was largely based on ICD-9 codes, which could have missed some patients or misclassified some. There were no chart reviews performed to validate or check the data, and they didn't have clinical data to directly measure or control for clinical severity of illness. Also, even though the investigators used propensity scoring to adjust for differences in the severity of illness between the groups, and this seemed to work pretty well, it is possible that there were other confounders that were not controlled for in their analysis. They also did not have provider-level data and couldn't account for variations in de-escalation by provider, which may have been interesting to see. Other limitations to remember for this study are that they excluded anyone on fluoroquinolones, which is an increasingly smaller population of patients in our days on hospitals, so this may not be a major issue. However, they also excluded anyone who had antibiotics stopped before four days. If you consider the 14,710 patients that were included in the study, 1,630 stopped both anti-pseudomonals and anti-MRSA antibiotics by day four, 1,368 were de-escalated by day two or three, and then if you add these to the 913 in the analysis that were de-escalated on day four, the total overall rate of de-escalation or discontinuation for patients with pneumonia started on these agents at admission was about 27%. That's maybe a little less bad than the author's estimate of 8% in the patients who were just de-escalated on day four. But still, there seems to be a lot of room to de-escalate antibiotics in this population. So in summary, despite the IDSA ATS recommendations to de-escalate broad-spectrum antibiotics in patients hospitalized with pneumonia based on negative cultures at 48 hours, this study found that antibiotics were continued in at least six 
out of seven eligible patients. We could use more work to better understand reasons for continuation of antibiotics in such patients. But this was the case even when controlling for factors such as severity of illness. It's possible that these models cannot really account for all the various reasons that clinicians do not feel comfortable de-escalating antibiotics in these patients with negative cultures. However, this highlights the need to continue applying the pressure and prompt the escalation of antibiotics in appropriate patients in our days on hospitals. So with that, I wish you all well in continuing to optimize antibiotic therapy for your patients, and we will be here with Dason to support you in your efforts. Until next time, this is the Dason Digest. Thanks for listening.